Whether you operate one forklift or thousands, one location or hundreds, the new My Toyota customer portal can help you optimize your operation and material handling equipment. This one-stop, free-to-use platform is designed to help you take control of your information and make smarter decisions, all at the touch of a button. Register and access your data today at my.toyotaforklift.com. That's my.toyotaforklift.com. The New Warehouse Podcast, hosted by Kevin Lawton, is your source for insights and ideas from the distribution, transportation, and logistics industry. A new episode every Monday morning brings you the latest from industry experts and thought leaders. And now, here's Kevin. Hi, and welcome to the New Warehouse Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Lawton. Today on the show, I am going to be joined by Alex Balenke. He is the Chief Revenue Officer at Aerotech Robotics, which is an Ireland-based robotics company, bringing robotic solutions to the warehousing and distribution space. So we're going to talk to Alex a little bit about uh, Aerotech. We're going to talk to them about how they're addressing the automation um, request of the industry and how their robots are working alongside humans and what they're bringing to the table in terms of automation and robotics. So Alex, welcome to the show. How are you today? Hi, Kevin. Thanks for having me. I'm good. So it's, a, it's a nice day in Ireland. So yeah, good to be. Uh, is it nice the, there? Yeah, it is actually quite quite nice today, but it's uh, it's getting colder and colder. So no Indian summer this year, unfortunately. Uh, okay. So what uh, what time is it over there, actually? Because it's, it's six o'clock here. It's 11, 11 a.m. Ah, okay. All right. Uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit about your background uh, and how you got involved with Aerotech? Okay. Yeah. So I'll, I'll be kind of brief because my uh, my history uh, wasn't really about robotics. So I have a, mm-hmm. a degree in computer science and uh, for most of my life I've spent with a blue chip company, a big corporation, anything from Nokia to Google yeah. uh, and mostly in, in sales function um, despite having a degree in computer science. So, but then I did MBA as well. So to kind of lift my, um, you know, business acumen a little bit. So, uh, that, that's, you know, in, in towards my background. But during my tenure with Google, actually, I was really closely involved in startups. And, uh, because of what I've been doing, and I'm actually quite excited about deep tech and deep engineering. So I've been, um, an advisor and a mentor to Aerotech for some time before I actually joined them in full term capacity. So again, it's really my passion for technology, um, which again took this a little bit of uh, unexpected uh, uh, route. Okay, very interesting. So now, why don't you tell us a little bit about Aerotech? So there's a lot of robotics companies out there. Um, but tell us about Aerotech and what type of robotic solution you guys are bringing to the industry. Okay, sure. So there was a major event in the industry, I think, which was an acquisition mm-hmm. of Kiva Systems by Amazon in 2011. Yes. I think that made many people think that something that looks fairly simple mm-hmm. actually 
really used a lot of money and actually appreciated by the huge players like Amazon. So I think that was the the moment of truth for the founders of AirTag. There were four people that were in different capacity involved in electronics, in IT, and warehousing. Uh, so they all knew the trouble of managing big warehouse, and particularly when it comes to individual item picking. So they weren't really amazed by the simplicity or what they think or what they thought is a simple concept that Kiva did and uh, and the price tag that was put on the company. So well, that was a trigger. And then um, actually it took them a while to figure things out, and uh, they built the first prototype uh, two years after uh, in the garage, as many mm-hmm. start, things started in the garage of the founder. Um, and then again, uh, there was a, another interesting moment. So the founder and CEO of Aerotech, Alexi, was traveling around the world, and he landed in Ireland in February. The weather was beautiful, and his friend said, "Well, this is a beautiful country, not only from the weather perspective, but from you know business uh, environment. So it's easy to set up here. There are plenty of um, electronics and mechanical engineers. Uh, so just stay here and you know bring your dream to life. And this is how it's all started. Really, very interesting. So now tell us a little bit about because your robotic, the Aerobot, is similar." in I guess the way it looks and kind of the way it operates to Kiva. So so tell us a little bit about I guess the Aerobot and then the whole system that you guys uh, offer. Yeah, that's a, that's always um, interesting. Everybody starts talking about the robots, uh, but mm-hmm. and and that that's actually the belief that robot is the cornerstone cornerstone of the system. But the reality is it's, it's all about software. Mm-hmm. It, and actually now we employ twice as many software engineers versus hardware and electronics. So, so this, this is interesting. But indeed, yes, it all started with the Aerobot and the, the concept was exactly the same as Kiva. So you have a bot uh, that is slim enough to go underneath of a rack or shelf or port, uh, lifts it a little bit and moves it to the picking station, essentially making sure that you don't have people or you don't need people to walk down the aisles of the warehouse and search mm-hmm. So the idea was let the robots do what they do best as actually driving fast and being very precise and letting people do what they are currently better than the robots is actually picking the items from the shelves. So that's overall overarching concept is is all the same about all goods to person systems, but the devil is in detail. So how we leave table, how we turn the robot, how we navigate, how we manage uh, uh, routing, for example, and how we do picking. Um, there are a few companies in our space that are active. Uh, Kiva is now known as Amazon Robotics, and they don't really sell their technology. So, and yeah. Amazon is very secretive, so hard to tell where exactly Kiva stands today. But we know, you know, from competition, you know, uh, what they do. We do many things differently. So that's that would say what makes us, uh, you know, puts us a little bit apart. We spend a lot of time on actually developing the thing, uh, airboards from ground up, while some of our competition just bluntly copied Kiva. So now, one of the things, I guess, when developing a robotic system, uh, you have to think about, and Aerobot is a system that works alongside people and works with people. So you have to look at the pace of the robot versus the pace of, I guess, the person that's working. So now how, in the development process, how do you get to that point where you have the robot that's keeping up with the person or the person that's keeping up with the robot? 
how do you find that balance and how do you kind of optimize the automation in that sense? Right. That's indeed something that we've spent a lot of time on. Uh, essentially, we have a picking station, as, as we call it. Uh, it. It's an interface. It's a human-machine interface. This is exactly where the picker interfaces with the with the with the robots with the error system. Uh, so we have a, a clear border, and we've spent quite a bit of time actually figuring out what with the best ergonomics. Because if you make the person's life easier, mm-hmm. he will work better. He or she will work better. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So, we were trying to put a lot of technology actually in assisting the person to pick. So we have pick to light and we have not seen any, uh, anything like this uh, uh, from competition so far. A simple system that will point where to pick from. And the whole interface is just, you know, a simple interactive touch screen, uh, which is an exact representation of the rack that is in front of, so, and has a picture of the, of the item that needs to be picked. So the idea is you make the people's, uh, the person's life easy, and this person will perform better. So, uh, and for example, one of the things, obviously, same applies to merchandising in big supermarkets or just good stores. So you put the stuff that is um, your best sellers, your fast movers, uh, into the middle size uh, side of the rack and make it easier for a person to pick. Because if you put something on top shelf or on the lower shelf, all, always there is, you know, uh, leaning or, or stretching, which is not, you know, most comfortable. So even having this golden zone where to put stuff, at least the moving stuff um, helps person to perform and again we saw a lot of you know there is a lot of technology that is voice to pick and we and I know that may not I mean this may contradict with some other people you know ideas but we surveyed quite a lot of uh, pickers and they don't like it actually they prefer to listen to music to podcasts to radios yeah. and we actually free person ears and they can listen to whatever they want uh, all we need is their eyes and their hands that's pretty much it Interesting, interesting. So, so tell us a little bit about, I guess, tell us a little more about, we've had a couple of different robotics companies on the show. Um, and you guys are, if I'm not mistaken, you're still kind of in the beginning stages. You're not as, um, I guess, older of a company. So tell us a little bit more about the actual development process of the robot and the system and how you get to the point of determining, you know, what's your, What's your final product is going to be? Well, I think it's uh, the final product that will be uh, probably ever in development. So there will be new generations of AirPod coming probably every two to three years time now because okay. we start really by, I mean, iterative process. So by trying and by uh, seeing how the system performs and then developing based on the learning. So we are currently... Um, though we are less than five year old as a company, we are currently the fifth generation of the AeroBot. And this is the one that we are totally happy with because mm-hmm. this became a platform. So it's no longer just a robot with the fixed capabilities. This is the one uh, with the computer in har- um, as, as, as its heart and uh, using the um, uh, canvas so we can plug additional sensors. So we believe as a platform, um, it has enough uh, potential to keep evolving while maintaining the key physical, you know, capabilities. So that's that's one thing how we think about it. And I'm glad you asked. There are definitely some uh, other robotic companies that are ahead of us that, um, you know, mostly do cobots, uh, collaborative robots that yeah. essentially are assistant robots. They are 
help following the person or essentially they just replace the person, but they perform exactly the same process as, as previously has been performed by a person. Our idea is that robotic world and human world are very different. So if a, if a human prefers to do shortcuts and to find, you know, sneaky ways of doing things, robots don't mind actually driving, you know, straight and, and, and turning 90 degrees. It's, it's totally fine with them. And this is exactly what makes them really efficient. So we believe we need, we want to split two worlds and let, let two worlds interact through the, you know, ergonomically well-designed, you know, process uh, in the peaking station. But the idea is that robots and humans uh, should be living in two different, you know, spaces. And while there is obviously enough um, need for cobots, uh, they essentially create the same problem as humans. There is a, they create traffic, they work independently, not quite as a team. And if you work as a team, you get efficiency uh, and you get efficiency of scale. And our system actually can grow over time by learning new tricks without actually changing anything from hardware perspective. So I think this is where our philosophy is different. However, I must admit we are a younger company versus some of our competitors, mm -hmm. and it's a bit harder to put the system like us versus Cobot. So you can bring a couple of Cobots, you train them over the course of a few days. Uh, they are essentially, in most cases, are just remotely controlled or remotely programmable machines that do certain fixed tasks. Our system actually takes more time to deploy. Um, it's anything between two to three to sometimes four months. Um, and it's a bigger exercise, though it's not as big as putting, you know, major ASRS system or, you know, big sorters or, or anything like this. So we are a bit more complicated and a bit more complex as a system, but it gives the nice kind of uh, sort of middle position within the simple cobots and and high-end uh, high-end ASRS systems. So you mentioned about how you believe that humans and robots should live in two two separate spaces. So so now, if my understanding is correct, the the Aerobot is sort of a collaborative robot as it's as it's eliminating the travel um, for the human picker, right? So it's bringing the goods to the person. Now, is the long-term goal uh, for Aerotech to go more towards a, a dark or lights-out unmanned warehouse solution, or is it to remain this kind of work alongside and have a, a mix, like you said, of uh, two different spaces where humans work and robots work? We believe it's going to be an evolution from, from now on for us, at least, okay. so... Um, the next step is going to be hybrid. So obviously in certain cases, we want robots to leave um, the fenced area and, and go, for example, and put a, a rack into the loading bay uh, or take um, a pallet from a loading bay because essentially we don't care what is on top of the base that is uh, that robot is carrying. So it can be simply put, you know, but there will be still interaction between humans and robots. And gradually over time, we believe they will be more and more of a dark approach rather than lights on, but it, it's not going to happen overnight and it will be different in different industries because certain things, you know, if you have goods that are nicely packed and, and come in the boxes and, um, you know, can be maybe not exactly containerized, but can be put in a small, you know, plastic totes or containers. This is something that is easy to pick and this is where robotic arms and some other retrieving technologies can be handy. 
However, uh, what we see in the internet age, you know, things and uh, an inventory that our clients, e-commerce company are selling is changing overnight. You have this fidget spinner revolution. Everybody wants a fidget spinner. Um, the one, <laughs> the one who want, who can get it first will make most of the money. However, this is not going to last. So it's, uh, it's been, it will be over in, in a month's time and they know it. So the idea is how, how can you get as many fidget spinner and dispatch them as quickly as possible? to, you know, to take the, the cream from the market. Yeah. Same actually applies not only to fidget spinners that are, you know, hard to predict, but it applies to marketing campaigns. For example, you know, your marketing department is pushing for certain types of the goods, how you can prepare your warehouse uh, to make sure that uh, your clients will not be disappointed by um, inability to deliver and fulfill the orders. So we can actually do things uh, to preempt it. So basically we know there is a marketing campaign. There will be a higher demand for certain types of goods. So we can actually, uh, and we have so-called inventory task. We can actually uh, split inventory for certain goods over multiple racks. And then we know that there will be no bottlenecks uh, because uh, the same rack is, is wanted at multiple picking stations. So this rack uh, will no, no longer be in bottleneck and same rack, well, not the same rack, but racks containing the same inventory can be delivered in parallel to multiple picking stations. So this is how we believe the system will learn the tricks. Obviously with the, it will be assisted by person, but we, we, we don't like to call it AI, but it's rather a machine learning and that is assisting people to make the right decisions, given that they know uh, the overall, you know, the bigger picture of what's going on and, and what are, what things should be anticipated. Same applies to seasonal changes. Same applies to Christmas sales and et cetera. Interesting. So now when you're talking about spreading out the inventory over multiple racks, is that something that your system is guiding the person to do when they're filling the rack? We'll be back after a quick break. You hear a lot about supply chains these days, because if the past couple years have taught us anything, it's that an efficient, well-managed supply chain is absolutely critical to keeping businesses successful and consumers happy. I'm Will Haywood, and I host a podcast called All Business, No Boundaries, where we talk about supply chains, how they work, what happens when they don't, and the innovations that are redefining what's possible in the world of logistics. Join me for insightful interviews with thought leaders and industry experts. We discuss how optimizing supply chains can break down the barriers that are holding businesses back. That's All Business, No Boundaries by DHL Supply Chain. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Um, that's a goal. So we want the system to tell it, but for now we need, uh, let's say, we need some kind of forecast from whoever is managing the operation. So is it, okay. uh, um, I don't know, an operations manager who runs warehouse, get information from marketing department. But once we have this information, what to expect? We can take actions and those actions will be fulfilled by robots. It's not like having, you know, an army of people um, doing extra work uh, overnight. No, it's going to be army of robots actually doing it uh, behind the scene mm -hmm. and then come in the morning and for them nothing changes you know they may see oh strangely enough there is this halloween type of uh, goods that are now all over the place but it is because <laughs> halloween is coming you know and we knew it um it's the same as there is a seasonal change and nobody wants uh, shirt uh, t-shirts everybody wants shirts long sleeve versus short sleeve changes in in those kind of changes can be anticipated 
So long-term goal, I think that's definitely good. And, you know, that kind of goes back to a previous episode that we had on uh, slotting. And, you know, it makes sense in that picking environment to spread that inventory throughout. Uh, because, like you said, if it's there's higher demand, there's going to be multiple pickers that are going to be requesting or needing to fulfill that item. Absolutely. So now, Just maybe to finish on this one. So sure. the... the the contrary applies to the slow movers, for example. If you have some of the inventory that you rarely need, but you still want to keep it, uh, just to make sure you have the wide, you know, assortment and make it, you know, available for your clients, then we can actually say, well, you have, let's, uh, let's take an example of books. You have a couple of rare books of a uh, few kinds. You can actually keep multiple SKUs in the same cell because, you know, yes, it may take longer for a person to pick because he will have to find the right book in the same cell, but it's not going to happen frequently. So it's okay. But then you get a much higher utilization of the space because those uh, single items or, you know, couple of items of rare um, uh, slow movers are not taking your precious, you know, shelf space. So it's really, there is no one size fits all approach. It's, it's horses for courses and, uh, and having a di- fully digital system where you know what is where at every single point of time helps a lot with making right decisions. Definitely. I think that's an interesting point. And I think, you know, to your point of utilizing the space to how you need to do it, I mean, that flexibility definitely is great um, from an operational perspective. Yep. So now, so many, so many of the robotic solutions um, that are out there are so focused on picking and order fulfillment. Um, but I know in one of our previous discussions, we had talked about how the Aerotech uh, system can actually handle returns. So now, can you talk a little bit about how that works and how uh, you use the platform in a different way aside from picking? Yeah, so, well, so-called reverse logistics is a, is a, is another big pain in the industry, particularly, you know, apparel and fashion industry. Their returns are, uh, through the, you know, through the roof. So, yeah, one of our clients is an apparel, uh, fashion brand, uh, and whether they like it or not, uh, I mean, it's a popular brand. Unfortunately, I cannot name it. It's a British company. So it's our client in the UK. Roughly 25 to 30% of the items they sell come back. So there was a question, what do you do there? Uh, how do you make those items available for resale? And we have created for them uh, a zone, which was, again, interesting in, in, in many ways. First of all, it was on the ground floor under the mezzanine, which is extremely difficult because of the number of pillars. So it's a yeah. weird shape, very difficult environment, and there was no single type of automation that could cope with the, this sort of, just sort of, maze of of pillars so yes we did not get the density we normally get but we could fit a a highly automated system under the mezzanine floor so that was one thing so they were able to use the space that otherwise was just wasted and secondly we have created the racks that um, we jointly did it with the client so we experimented with a few sizes uh, so we created something that is um, oftentimes called like um, a pigeonhole so essentially um, a set of small uh, small cells uh, where the individual item would go because obviously uh, things are being returned uh, in absolutely random way. So you get shirts, you get uh, trousers, you get shoes, accessories, and it all comes all together. So you don't get, you know, any consistency. So the idea was 
to obviously to recondition and actually grade those uh, this this uh, inventory. So this is unfortunately still very manual. But then use this pigeonhole approach. So one item, one cell. And as soon as the item is back in the system, so WMS is updated, this item is available uh, for resale. And they had the strategy of, of having returned items uh, to be sold first. So sort of a, a life approach so that this warehouse, which is, again, not exactly the one that is designed to, to keep the stock, but to be constantly busy and having a very, you know, kind of quick turnover. So essentially it's not a warehouse, it's more like a, a buffer for keeping uh, return stock and making available for resale as soon as possible. So again, slightly different strategy. Um, and again, was made in a very unusual type of environment under the mezzanine floor, which is again, very difficult for any other type of automation. Yeah, I like that. I mean, it's very interesting. And then, you know, a lot of times, I mean, reverse logistics and returns are just an absolute pain um, to get through the process. Like you said, they come in all different ways and they come in different packaging and you know, have to be inspected and all those things. So to be able to utilize um, the automated system to get them back into inventory uh, as quick as possible, especially in apparel where, uh, you know, it can be very seasonal um, and sometimes, you know, maybe if returns sit, by the time you get it processed, it's something that's not even going to sell anymore, maybe. So so it's really yep. interesting. Um, and I think the point that you made about how you were able to utilize the automation in this, um, I guess, difficult-to-navigate space as well uh, kind of makes me think about, you know, what it, from a safety perspective, how is the AeroBot um, from a safety perspective, and is it... Does it need to be in its own space, or can it be? Um, is it okay for humans to walk into the same area? Uh, well, ideally, we definitely want to stay to, to to keep people away from robots because okay. we want to drive fast. And uh, and when you drive fast, and uh, each airboard is roughly a hundred kilogram, and it's carrying uh, up to four hundred kilogram of of mm -hmm. including wreck, so it's uh, effectively half a ton. And whatever you do, you can't stop immediately. We have obstacle detection. We have safety bumper. We have emergency stop button. But if, if unexpected human is around and moving in, in there might be a collision. So ideally to drive fast, we want to prevent people from entering the zone. So each peaking station is actually has a number of sensors, like a safety curtain. So if somebody actually crosses the line, we can detect whether it's just a human picker hand is there and we have certain you know safety buffers so that whatever happens it just you know the hand is being hit but it's not being cut between the rack and the and the frame of the of the picking station so we designed picking station with a safety in mind and obviously if somebody enters with the zone um, picking zone where robots operate uh, without you know suspending the system posing the system uh, the system will halt yeah so we don't want people around uh, but the system can be posed 
let's say if there is whatever happens, so there is a, an item on the floor that fell off the rack or we have a robot that misbehaving and needs to be wheeled away, you can pause the system. A person may enter. You may wheel out the robot. It's a free wheel, uh, so it's it's easy. Uh, I mean, it's hard to pick it and, and carry, but, uh, you know, driving it away, you know, manually like a push trolley is, is very simple. And we have designed like a buffer zone, like a small dock where one door opens like in the banks and, you know, and that and the other doors will not open until the, the first door is closed. So this is okay. what we use to enter uh, the new robots into the system and to take robots out of the system. But essentially, yes, we want to keep people away from robots. But we are now, based on Generation 5 platform, we have a, lo- a robot with a, with a safety lighter, which actually drives much slower. So if our normal speed is up to 2.5 meters per second, the one that is actually can go outside will drive no faster than 1 meter per second, which is obviously much slower, but those are requirements that we need to comply with as a machine directive and this is reality so that's why we believe robots are not as efficient because you don't use them to their full potential when they work in the same space with people so can it be done absolutely yes does it make sense in certain cases yes but when it's a purely fulfillment operation you want things to move as fast as they can and this is why you want to have people outside of the zone Got it. Got it. It's a very interesting perspective. I haven't uh, haven't actually thought of it in that way, and I don't think that's something that we've heard uh, from other robotics companies on the show before. So, so really interesting perspective. And from a safety standpoint, now, what is it like um, in terms of safety regulations? Because you're working in, so you said you had a, a company that's your customer in the UK, and then you guys are based in Ireland. So. Yep. So what type of safety regulations are out there and how do they vary by country, um, especially since, you know, robotics is fairly new um, in terms of, you know, the history of the world um, and technology. And obviously they keep developing as well, um, potentially getting faster, um, smaller, all different types of things. You know, how how do you guys deal with the safety regulations and what, what really are the safety regulations for different countries and what have you guys ran into in terms of as you're developing uh, where you have to kind of make a change to conform to those safety regulations? It is it is actually one of the painful questions because we spend quite a bit of time and our our efforts to make sure we comply with the mm-hmm. not safety but also health and safety. So there, there are two components uh, because safety is pure, you know, safety of uh, humans' life. And, but health and safety, uh, when we talk about health, is about the ergonomics of the system. Uh, so mostly uh, the system needs to be CE compliant, which involves many different parameters and it can be a whole different story and we have a person a full-time person dedicating to making our sure uh, our system compliant it can be anything from the because we use uh, uh, lithium ferrum batteries so from uh, fire safety electromagnetic emissions uh, obviously we need to test how robots stop uh, things like emergency buttons are mandatory or they're not really very useful. Yeah, but we have mechanical bumper, bumpers and etc. So all those things needs to be insured. So basically, even in this situation, when let's say a robot is cut off of the power and, and again, for whatever reason happens, it's no longer controllable. So you have to ensure there is a separate circuit that will actually engage the brakes and the robot will stop. 
And this is something that needs to be tested. And this is something on what we spend a lot of time and effort because essentially it's pretty much like in the airplanes, uh, which are drive by wire. The only way this type of, uh, you know, you know, managing airplanes by uh, by pilots were were allowed because there is a double system for pretty much anything on their airplanes. Obviously, we cannot afford to double everything, but things that are safety related, uh, we have double basically double circuit to to making sure if one circuit is damaged for whatever reason and we can't control robot, there will be a safety circuit that will uh, cut off the power and that will engage the brakes and will make sure that robots is fully safe. So yes, uh, that that's a lot of effort that goes into this type of uh, exercises, testing under different conditions from uh, fairly low temperatures. We don't really see our robots working outdoors yet, but we tested mm-hmm. from 10 up to 45 and making sure nothing overheats uh, and uh, nothing gets too cold because we use infrared cameras and when you have low temperatures, there is a risk of, uh, of, of getting fog um, which will prevent robots from seeing, actually. So those all those things that needs needs to be taken into, and we work with an independent company that actually verifies uh, our compliance with the CE regulation and machine directive. So Europe is probably the strictest re- region, and within Europe we have Nordic countries like Belgium, uh, sorry, like uh, Denmark, uh, Sweden, Norway that are even strict. They have limitations. For example, you can't put. And I don't remember the exact numbers, but for example, you can't put heavy items on the top shelf so so that as a person, uh, there is risk for your back to be damaged. So they say, well, it's uh, higher than your... shoulder, uh, then you can't reach anything uh, or you can't handle anything that is more than five kilogram. And if it's more than certain other weight, then it needs to be a, a two-man operation. So that's why uh, or certain things can be only handled with two hands and you can't handle things with one hand. So there are some countries that put extra effort uh, into protecting not only safety, but again, the human safe because back pains and, um, you know, all those things... Uh, um, that people do every day in the warehouse, uh, they, they do impact the, the humans, humans' health at the end of the day. So, uh, and this is something that we try to, to, to work on and to include in, in the design of the product. And, and this is, I think, where we are different from some of the companies uh, operate in Asia. And actually, U.S. is not as strict. So I would say in the U.S., um, to basically put a border, putting a border between the robotic system and, and a human uh, uh, zone can be as simple as putting like a very small barrier and saying, don't enter, and that's it. Yeah. It won't work in Europe. In Europe, you need a proper fence, um, which is actually, again, um, <laughs> higher than the human shoulder. So it can be pretty simple net, but it, in most cases, it's like a metal net. So, But okay. needs to be there, and this is something... Whether we like it or not, uh, we, we need to take into account when we design the system. So you mentioned about the if it's over five kilograms, it can't be on the top shelf. Now, is there something built into the system that will tell somebody that? Um, well, this is where it gets very interesting and very tricky. Yeah. Because obviously, as a part of the of the of, of any project, there is integration with the usually existing WMS or WCS system. And it's availability of information, the quality of information, which is a big challenge. So, you know, in many cases, yes, the clients will have volumetrics uh, data uh, and they can pass the data to us. But in, okay. in many other cases, um, 
no, there will be no, you know, precise information or there won't be any information that is good enough. So then by design, what we do when we don't know whether items are heavy or not. So we just make, making sure that the cells that are on the top of the shelf are small cells, because obviously if something is smaller volume, there are good chances that it's going to be lighter as well. So again, uh, it's sort of rule of thumb, but this is what helps us to prevent some kind of unpleasant situations when a big items goes on top and then it may actually harm the person that is picking this item with one hand. Very interesting stuff. So how can uh, people find out more about Aerotech and uh, the Aerobot? Um, yeah, we have a website, so which is aerotech.com. Uh, the good thing about Aerotech name, it's it's fairly unique. Aera stands for Ireland in, in Irish, and mm-hmm. tech is, is tech. So it's aerotech.com, and we have a contact form. Uh Info at airtech.com is our corporate email address and I'm checking it daily. So, um, because my full name is alexander.belenk at airtech.com, which is definitely very hard to remember. <laughs> so, but again, if whoever wants to reach out to us, LinkedIn and Twitter is something that we active on. So pretty much any channels, we definitely want to hear from partners because our business, um, is something that oftentimes ha- happens local and we, 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 we like local partners and we work with the partners of all kinds, anything from software company to big system integrators. And we definitely want to hear from them, uh, potential end, end users if they want to learn more about how we could help. So again, info at airtech.com, uh, is probably the easiest way to get in touch. Okay. Great. And I'll post all that information on the newwarehouse.com on the blog and you'll be able to see it there and get in touch with uh, Alex at that easier email, info at airtech.com. So Alex, thank you so much for being on the show today, and uh, thank you so much for talking to us about Airtech Robotics. Thank you so much, Kevin. Have a great day. Thanks. All right, you too. Thanks, Alex. You've been listening to the New Warehouse Podcast with Kevin Lawton. Subscribe and check us out online at thenewwarehouse.com. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want more content from The New Warehouse, check out our new video series called All Hands on LinkedIn. Just search for The New Warehouse on LinkedIn and follow along.